Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome to the DFD or Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Here, we want to discuss all things dairy farming. This podcast is about getting information out that is going to help your dairy operations succeed. Our goal is to bring you timely information on beneficial topics. We plan to bring in some of the top names from the industry to share on the topics they have studied and more importantly, are passionate about sharing with you, the listeners. I hope everyone enjoys this week's episode and thanks for listening. Hey guys, Luke Maholik here. Welcome back to the Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Today we are talking about heat stress. So today I believe the temperature is going to hit 31 degrees outside. Uh, Obviously a very, very timely topic to be discussing uh, around the dairy farm is heat stress. I am excited for both guests we have on. So we are doing things a little different today. We have Keith Schweitzer joining us. Again, he was on the last podcast episode talking about haylage. And he is going to be a little bit more of a regular contributor on the podcast. And uh, he's going to be kind of co-hosting with me the odd time and and giving his insights onto a lot of the different topics we'll be talking about here, especially over the summer. And then our second guest today is Pedro Nogaira. He's been around for quite a few years at Shergin, and I'll get him now, maybe just Pedro, to do a little bit of an introduction of who you are and uh, give us a little bit of a rundown of your background there. Sure. Thank you, Luke and Keith, for this opportunity. And, uh, well, I studied animal production and uh, animal nutrition in Portugal, and then uh, I've been working always with uh, ruminants, mostly dairy cows, but also dairy goats and sheep. And then in 2006, I moved to Canada with my family, and um, and I've been working for Shurgain since 2012 as a dairy technical support for the ruminant team, and um, yeah, in, in Ontario. And Keith, do you want to give us maybe a, just a quick rundown of your background? I know you were just on the last episode there, like we mentioned, but... Uh... Yeah, so I uh, hailed from down here on the uh, North Shore of Lake Erie, uh, just kind of west of London. And uh, I've been in the Suregain uh, dealer network since uh, 2013, uh, primarily working with uh, the Hensel Co-op, so covering uh, their trading areas uh, with their uh, respective reps and uh, also working uh, with a couple other dealers and some and some young reps within the uh, Suregain system. So uh, great to be here, Luke. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for joining in, and uh, we, we always appreciate your contribution there. So... Um, like I mentioned before, today we are talking about heat stress, and we've appropriately named this episode Too Hot to Handle. So um, with that, I guess I'll throw this out to both you guys, but who wants to give us a little bit of a definition of what heat stress actually is? I mean, really in simple terms, it's a, heat stress is really a, a illness. We never think about heat stress as an illness, but it's uh, something that occurs when, you know, when the body cannot get rid of the excessive heat. And to keep a healthy temperature, every organism has their own temperature of a thermoneutral zone. And, uh, and when the, the body cannot get to that temperature, uh, stress starts to happen. And anything you want to add to that, Keith? No, I think Pedro covered it off really well. I think uh, what we're starting to see in some of these barns now with, uh, with the heat turning on here in the last couple of weeks is a lot more uh, higher, respi- higher respiratory rates. Uh, you know, you see more crowding and things around uh, water troughs and things like that. So, you know, the cows are starting to show signs of the heat stress in there. So I think this is a pretty timely topic. Does every farm actually deal with heat stress? Yeah, that's really dependent on the, on the farm, on the heat abatement strategies of the farm, on the type of the barn. Um, also in the type of cow, so we know that uh, 
uh, heat stress affects much more high producing cows than low producing cows. For example, a cow at, that has an average of 30 liters per day probably can handle much better uh, higher temperature than a cow that milks 40 plus liters. So it's, uh, I'd say that uh, during um, a typical Ontario summer, probably have every farm has some degree of heat stress, but uh, the, the range of that heat stress can be, can be very wide depending on the type of barn for sure in cow. Yeah, I know. And I think it really comes down to what kind of ventilation and heat abatement, like Pedro mentioned earlier, like some barns, uh, you know, you get into the real hot, sticky days of the summer and at night, you know, if they've got those sprinklers in there and some and lots of air moving through, you know, you don't see the uh, you don't see the stress on the cows as maybe somewhere where it's a more natural ventilation where they don't necessarily have any fans and maybe they're just soaking in the uh, in the um, in the parlor, the holding area when they're milking. And then the other thing too that I, I think people really forget about uh, with heat stress is the dry cows. Like mm. when they're eating these high fiber diets and they've got a calf growing inside of them, you know, it's just like a little, a little furnace or a little fire in there. How do we actually identify when heat stress is occurring on their farm or on a farm? We know that uh, uh, some key signs that a cow is heat stress, it's the increase in respiration rate. And the other one that it's more measurable, it's the, the temperature, of course. So they recommend that uh, you can lock up 10 cows and check their rectal temperature. And if seven out of the 10 have a rectal temperature above uh, 39.4 or 103 Fahrenheit, the cows are probably in, in heat stress. And they recommend measuring it in the, in the afternoon because the temperature is higher, so you'll have a better a better understanding of what's going on. And then also we should look at the respiratory rate, the same again with 10 cows. And it is known that if cows have more than 75, 75 breaths per minute on at least seven of those 10 cows, you probably uh, are having uh, significant heat stress because uh, if you consider a cow in a terminal zone as about 40 breaths per minute, see we are talking 75, so something is really, is really happening. Sometimes you forget about the heifers, but uh, um, there's something, a place we can, can and should all, also check. So normally a typical respiration rate of calves and heifers is around 30 breeds per minute. And so if you go and measure them and it's uh, high, let's say 60, yeah, they are also going through heat stress. So it's something to consider as well. Well, and you gotta think about calves that are still in utero too. Because you know it doesn't all, all it not only affects the dry cow, but it'll affect the productive life of that heifer and that bull calf after they're born. So I mean, there's long-lasting effects that we don't necessarily see right away. So we don't keep it in front. We don't keep that idea in front of us all the time. So Pedro, I guess we'll throw that to you first. Here is is there something we can be doing to measure these effects on mm -hmm. farm? Yeah, I mean, one of the first thing that comes to mind is that we talk about heat stress, so heat uh, temperature. So a good tool to have is a thermometer uh, because I mean, that's fairly uh, evident, fairly easy to use. And, uh, and also wind speed, it's a very good tool to, to use on the farm. So in fact, uh, all the sugarcane reps have an anemometer, a wind meter device. And so we always recommend to go to on a, on a farm 
to use that uh, that device that also measures um, other than wind speed it also measures temperature and relative humidity and so you can go with it along the barn and check the the wind speed and check it at uh, the holding uh, pen check it at uh, stall level so whatever at, at cow height because sometimes you see farms that have a really nice set of fans but because of their placement or inclination when you are going to measure air speed at um, at the stall level for example there's hardly any air movement in there so it's a false uh, a false reassurance when you see all those fans because in fact it's not helping the cow at uh, where she lies down for example of course temperature alone it's not the best indicator because we know especially in this area with the the great lakes humidity relative humidity plays a big role on heat yeah. stress so that combination of temperature and humidity it's the temperature humidity index there are tables that uh, that help us to to assess if if uh, the, the severity of of that heat stress for example just so to have an idea currently it's considered that a THI index of 68 it's where cows start to have a mild heat stress mm -hmm. and that would be 22 degrees and 50 percent relative humidity so you normally would not think 22 degrees would be heat stress but you add this 50 percent humidity and you get to the threshold of heat stress I was just going to say too like as the humidity goes up like that THI changes as well too so you could have you know 22 degrees at 100% humidity and you'd be much higher on that THI index and the other thing to Pedro's point too about the airspeed over the stalls you know I was even in a barn today and uh, I was walking in the cow pens and, and you know it felt pretty nice and then I got out in the feed alley and I was standing by the end door of the barn and there was so much air exiting the barn like that so it's going to find the path of least resistance to get out of the barn um, so I ended up closing the end door and just seeing where the air changed and it actually because the end wall had curtains on it so it started pushing more air out through those curtains and it subsequently kind of put more air down over those cows so it was a little bit staler at the feed bunk which I didn't necessarily like I think oddly enough a lot of times uh, farmers will cut a few dollars and try and install some of those fans themselves and sometimes I think that's almost where the money could be best spent is making sure a professional comes in and puts those in the right place um, I've seen it time and time again on farms where the fans are there and, and they give the effect they're they're doing their job but when you look at certain spots there's still a lot of places in those barns where there's a lot of dead air that there shouldn't be uh, whether it's the feed bunk or even whether it's over the stalls because they're angled too high or things like that you, you get the impression there's fans there it should be doing its job but the cows really aren't getting the full effect of that so it, it's something to be aware of on every farm and and there are definitely professionals out there and i know pedro even has some credentials in some of those areas as well with ventilation but uh, we we're going to spend the money on the fans we want to make sure they're actually doing their job as well no i agree i mean it's uh it's still a a big investment on a farm and fans tend to be more and more efficient which is great but they still need hydro to run so the the better place they are the more um, you know they have to provide a certain amount of cubic feet per minute in different areas and and they should be dimensioned and placed for that otherwise it's uh, you spend the money without really have, having the benefit and also maintaining them so often we see fans that are very dirty yeah. <clears throat> they accumulate uh, dust throughout the winter or birds nest in there and there are studies that show that you can have a reduction up to 40 percent of the efficiency of that fan so 
all that it's part of maintenance that it's uh, it's just a piece of the puzzle of of helping with heat stress i think that's one of those things as as reps to uh, where we could be a little bit more proactive and be talking about these things in you know march heat stress isn't a hot topic i guess in sorry the pun in uh in march but it, you know it's worth us thinking ahead um when the producer isn't necessarily as busy so no, that's good. So one of the other big things I think we want to talk about, and, and we did touch on it already a little bit as well, is um, uh, some of the long-term effects that heat stress can have on animals. So I don't know if we want to maybe start with, uh, switch it up a little bit, but let's start with the calves and heifers and maybe talk about some of the long-term impacts uh, heat stress might have on those younger animals. And we'll kind of start from the younger ones and work our way up there. So, Yeah, I mean, calves... Uh... It's interesting, we, we see lots of articles and talks about uh, cold stress for calves because they, they in fact have a, a thermoneutral neutral, uh, temperature or, or zone much, much uh, different than cows. Normally they are comfortable between 15 and 28 degrees Celsius, uh, but then they, they still suffer heat stress. So, <clears throat> and although there's a lot of talk about cold stress, we tend to forget heat stress. So. And especially if you have calves and hutches outside, uh, you should pay attention because the, the hutch behaves a bit as a kind of a small um, hothouse, or how do you say that, you know, where we grow flowers, <laughs> greenhouse. And, uh, and so some things to do is to, you know, open all the vents or even prop up the, the, the back of the hutch to let air flow. Uh, ideally, if you can, to put a shading cloth on top of the, of the hutch area because there's shade can uh, there are studies that show that that can drop up to half a degree the body temperature of the calves so okay. half a degree doesn't seem a lot but it is on a on a small animal and um, and also there are <clears throat> studies that that show that a heat stressed calf will have much more problems in terms of uh, the compromised immune system uh, more susceptibility to to disease, you know, scours, all those types of things. So I think it's very important to things that we always talk, but they should really be uh, taken very seriously during summer. It's, for example, water availability, always clean and fresh. If you can offer smaller meals, but more meals per day, uh, control flies, you know, do if you have to do stressful routines like the horning or vaccination, uh, try to do that on the cooler, you know, early morning or late afternoon. Just do whatever you can to keep those animals comfortable because they do suffer heat stress as well. I think sometimes even just getting them up during the day and making sure they're moving around a little bit, um, not laying down to, uh, you know, give them a little bit more surface area for some breeze to get across to, uh, to help them get cooled down as well. Pay lots of attention to hygiene, of course. We know that uh, heat multiplies bacteria much faster than cold. So all those details are even more important during summer. No, and I guess from there, we could kind of move into the uh, to the dry and transition cows. So what impact should we expect to see on that if, uh, if heat stress is becoming an issue there and they're not uh, being properly taken care of? What, what are some of the impacts? Sometimes it's a bit similar to the calves. We tend to forget calves and heifers when we think about heat stress but it's a huge problem on on transition cows so there is work done already for quite a while and then much more recently in florida and mississippi where they 
you know, they had groups of cows that were dry cows that were cooled and cows that were not cooled, same diet, same barn, it's just cool or not cooled. And then when they calved, they went into the same facilities where they were all cooled with sprinklers and, and fans, ventilation. So, and it's, uh, it's incredible the impact that it has on the cow herself. So she'll meet milk about five to seven liters less than the cows that were cooled on the calves that are born lighter and normally 10, eight to 10 or eight to 12 days earlier than they should. They are not being, they are not able to absorb immunoglobulins as well as calves born from um, cows that were cooled. And what's uh, impressive is that when they follow those, those heifers that were born from heat stressed cows, two years later, they, they gave about five liters less than the cow, the heifers that came from cooled cows. So it's a, a huge impact that it has on the cow, on the, on the calf and on the future of the, of the herd. So it's really a, a critical area to pay attention for sure on the farm. I think that, uh, it's kind of one of those under, it's not an area that producers see a great return. Like you'd see a return in milk production by cooling lactating cows. But when you look at dry cows, there's a lot of, uh, underlying effects on that that animal that you know they don't jump out at you right away so a lot of times I feel like they uh, they get forgotten and I know I was at uh, at a client's this morning and we were talking about uh, they've got a cab out about uh, 50 cows in the next month they're just saying well we don't want to have any problems so I so then we have the discussion well you could probably use a little bit more water trough space in there and if you could get some more fans and things like that you know anything that we can help these these uh, very late gestation uh, mamas out you know that calf is creating a huge amount of heat in there plus the temperature outside you know it makes her very very uncomfortable so anything we can do with them uh, to try and cool them would be great so I also suggested to you know take them up into the parlor a couple times a day and and soak them and uh, get them wet and get them up and moving a little bit and then get them back in the pen so yeah, and I think that then just brings us to obviously the girls that are, are making us the money, the the w impact that this might have on our lactating dairy cows. So I don't know, Pedro, if you want to go first again on that one. You're right. I mean, they, they pay the bills. And and it's also because they produce milk. It's more obvious what we see, right? So normally symptoms like a reduction on intake or milk production, they, they, they are the initial alarm bells but then <clears throat> there are other factors that it depend on the duration and intensity of heat stress but normally we also see uh, the milk components dropping uh, not only fat but also protein which often means that the cow is just using energy or burning amino acids to just for other purposes other than produce milk and we can see that on the on the components and then it's very common to also to see an increase on um, on the incidence of metabolic problems. You know, you see more retained placentas, you see more uterine problems, uh, milk fevers, other edema as well. So a lot of this has to do with the immune system that becomes more compromised and the heat stress doesn't help with it, right? So another very important area that we see, and that one sometimes you see a lag up to October, it's uh, a higher incidence of hoof problems 
to not only to the fact that the cows are standing more, but also to related to the to the diet, to sorting other aspects that we'll probably talk more. But uh, yeah, so heat stress really affects very strongly cows on uh, on different areas. So Pedro, do you think like with the we see less yield, milk yield and liters and, com and and components as well. Like, do you think that's because they don't eat as much or is it just because of the heat stress or like, what are your thoughts on like all the other effects of, of heat yeah, stress? No, that, that's a good question. And, and uh, we always thought that, okay, the cows are eating less, so they don't produce as much. It makes sense. Cow don't eat, cow don't produce. But uh, we know now that there's more to eat than just the dry matter intake. So they did nice studies with the, where they had cows in heat stress and they measure how much they ate. So let's say 20 kilos dry matter. And then they gave those exact 20 kilos to cows that were cooled and nice. And uh, the cows that were heat stressed still produce much less than the cow, the other cows that were uh, in good conditions, even eating the same amount of feed. So that means that uh, uh, there's something more than just the intake of nutrients. And we now know that a lot of it is just things like, for example, the cows, because the cow is already, she tries to produce, you know, when the cow ferments feed, she produces a lot of internal heat and when she uses nutrients. And we know that the, when the cow uses glucose, it's uh, it's the nutrient that uh, that produces the least amount of internal heat. So what happens is that a lot of that glucose that used to go to produce lactose and meal now is diverted for the cow to for other purposes, mainly to fuel the immune system. So, and that accounts for some of the loss or the extra loss on milk that we see, other than purely the reduction on intake. So there is more to eat that and that's why also we as nutritionists sometimes get frustrated because we try to make a diet more dense in energy so on paper we have the same nutrients but the cow still milks less than she she should we've talked a lot about obviously a lot of the negative impacts that heat stress can have so now let's talk about some strategies we can do to help farmers on uh, on heat stress on their farm yeah, no, I mean, the ventilation, of course, is key to, and, and then you think about ventilation, often we think about uh, fans, and we'll talk about it, but if someone is building, uh, you can even think about ventilation during the building process, you know, because we can take advantage of natural ventilation, although often it's not enough, but it can be a very good complement to active ventilation. So normally we try to have around 800 to 900 cubic feet per minute uh, over the the feed bank, the free stalls on the on the holding area, probably a bit more around a thousand cubic feet per minute. So all those things have to be when you when you make the investment on a fan, you have to take that in consideration. Just not to have the fans that in the end don't don't do the job right. So it has to be normally a good rule of thumb is to have uh, fans around. I'd say 20 to 24 feet apart, but that depends on the diameter of the, the fan. If you have a, a smaller fan, you have to, to have them. I'd say the reference I have is 36 inches fans. You should space them 20 to 24 feet apart. If it's a wider fan, you know, 48 feet fan, probably should do 24 to 32 feet apart. So, and all is an inclination that really goes 
on the cow and not creates a nice flower on top of the cow. <laughs> um, the last couple of years, we've been toying around at a few farms that are more natural barns. So like they've got, you know, 12 foot curtains on the sides and then they've got uh, fans over the free stalls. And we've been playing around with closing curtains during the day uh, when we get in that real hot, humid weather um, and kind of tunneling the barn a little bit. So we'll close the barn or the producer will close the barn right up and it's really forcing that air down over the cows and it actually creates a really nice environment. So it's more, you know, that air isn't escaping out through the curtains, more of it's getting directed over the cows. And, and I think it really does make, a, I really think it does make a big difference, not only on, um, on the heat abatement, but also with flies too. And that's one thing that maybe I think is a producer's biggest nemesis in the summer um, is flies. So, you know, the more air we can get moving through some of these barns, the better off. Uh, that's the best fly control right there. So, Sprinklers are, are becoming more popular day in, day out here. So do you guys want to touch on that a bit? Yeah, I think, uh, in fact, it's interesting. There was a, a recent, then this year, uh, a recent study with cows where this was in California because they have huge problems with water. So they're trying to find ways to still keep the cows comfortable, but save water. So they had these different systems to cool the cows. It's uh, just fans and then fans and sprinklers, then uh, positive pressure tubes, you know, like we see on the calf barns, but where the air was cooled. And then also uh, mattresses. Um, so they had water mattresses and the water was recirculated and it was cold water. So it was cooled and all is recirculating on those mattresses and there was sand on top of the mattresses. And I thought that option, because cows lose a lot of heat by conduction, you know, and they're lying down on a cool place. But uh, by far, the water and sprinklers um, was the, the best system. Although they did, they were able to show that they can use half the water that is normally recommended in California. So that was a, a win for that study. Yeah. But uh, it's that combination of wetting the cow and then evaporating the, the, the water that really helps to cool, to cool the cows. It's, uh, it really takes a lot of heat load when uh, that water is evaporated. So, you know, if you're in a dry climate like California, Arizona or Texas, you know, the misters are probably going to be your best bet. Where here, I think we have to get cows wet down to the skin. Yes, and then get yeah. air moving across them to evaporate the the water and the heat off of them. So, and I, I guess sprinklers do just tie in naturally to uh, to water. It's only fitting that I think we have some mention of water uh, while we're talking about heat stress. So, do you guys just want to talk a little bit briefly about water and uh, some of the key concepts around that? On uh, any talk about heat stress, we have to talk about water. Otherwise. <laughs> It did not sound right, so, but I mean, the basic things like uh, plenty of water and clean water, maintaining, uh, managing the water troughs clean, and then also the, the availability of the water. So we always have to think about three to four linear inches per cow when we think about the, the water we have available, and always at least two water places per pen because if you only have one and you have a few dominant cows, that can create a lot of problems. And also, if you can, I mean, depending on the farm, but if you have the room for it, it's always good, important to have uh, uh, water available at the exit of the parlor, because that's when the cows drink a lot of water. Of course, that's the placement of that has to be seen not to create a bottleneck there at the exit, but if you have the room, yeah, consider that for sure. 
That's uh, one thing that I really notice in traveling um, different farms, especially across the U.S., is the amount of water inches they have available for cows, and especially on areas where, you know, they're walking from the parlor back to the barn. Now, we don't have the scale for that, but I think uh, a lot of these builds that we see around the countryside are just at the limit uh, for water. And, you know, sometimes I think that a lot of our milk production in the summer um, a lot of the hit that we take is just because water is such a limiting factor on some of these farms that, uh, you know, they could do with an extra trough at a crossover or things like that. And you have to think about flow, too, because if you get four or five cows around a water bowl, they can suck that bugger dry pretty quick. You know, they're going to drink a lot of water at a time. They're only going to drink, you know, two to four times a day, maybe a little bit more during heat stress. But they spend uh, their duration maybe a little bit longer at, at the uh, water trough and, and maybe not as frequent a visit. So, you know, when you get a big flush of cows coming out of the parlor and they're all standing around the water trough, you know, lots of times you'll see it'll be drawn right down and it, and it just can't replenish itself uh, quick enough. So another thing, too, I know Pedro mentioned was uh, cleanliness. You know, lots of times we see some science projects out in these water troughs and, you know, cows sense of smell is 300 times greater than ours. So, you know, a, a bad water trough can turn her off right away. I would I would say that one of the biggest things I've seen doing the Life Start audits over the past few years, the, the Shergain, uh, basically young animal audit that we can do on farm for anyone, is uh, a lot of times, you know, post weaning there, you're seeing one water bowl for two pens and... I don't know how many farms we've had the discussion and that that's become a winter project for them to go stick an extra bowl or a trough or something and to increase that space because uh, and some of these farms you could have, you know, well, upwards of 10, 10 calves sharing one water bowl, maybe more if you have two pens sharing one bowl or one little mini trough and something to be well aware of because it, it comes up time and time again on those, those life start audits. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about just uh, with mitigating heat stress and uh, it's it's something that's maybe again becoming a little bit newer here in Ontario but I think other southern states and in southern areas are definitely playing with uh, shade quite a bit more uh, but uh, definitely seen some interesting stuff on farms maybe not full on science but uh, seeing some areas where blocking windows and blocking light with shade and things like that have had uh, some really positive impact on how cows bunch and uh, those sorts so i don't know if you guys want to touch on shade a little bit as well it, again it's something where guys seem to be more experimental with it instead of scientific i don't know if there's the science 100 percent to back it up but there's a lot of uh, a lot of positive coming from using shade anyway so i mean and that's uh, what the way you mentioned the way i was thinking about shade is for example what i mentioned when uh, you have hutches outside and you just put a a shading cloth on top, you know, about two uh, two meters above or one and a half meters above the, the hatches, you put a, 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 a ceiling of shading cloth because that that creates shade and reduces the temperature and letting the airflow still. What about, you've got a farm that you deal with down in Elgin County that put like ginseng cloths. Yeah, yeah. they had the one row of the, the stalls that were against the wall in the afternoon, they receive a lot of light. And so what they did, they built an expansion of the barn. It's just uh, iron bars, basically, that then they roll over. Yeah, kind of like loops, roll... right? Yes, yeah, they roll the shades, those um, uh, shading cloths. And uh, and they say that that it, it improves substantially the, the usage of those stalls. 
um, because probably that was yeah that that side is turned south so there was um, a lot of sun coming in, in the afternoon and uh, the cows didn't like to use them yeah no i see that in a few uh especially if you get on the like the like a six row barn or or a tail to tail type setup is that they really don't like laying on that outside row certain times of the day whether you know if it's a, a north south oriented barn you know a lot of times in the morning they won't want to lay on the east side of the barn on the outside row and then vice versa in the afternoon they don't want to lay in that west row you know the the row on the west curtain so and then i really like the idea pedro that you talked about with uh, shading calf hutches i think that's maybe an under utilized area where you can have a temporary structure for relatively cheap um, to kind of put up and put some of them hutches on underneath uh, just for the summer even. I do want to jump ahead here just a little bit. Uh, do you guys want to just touch more so on the nutritional aspects that can help with heat stress? Yeah, that's a, a good topic and that's normally where we spend some time of our, our days working. But I just wanted to, to say that I mean, there's nowadays we know quite a bit about different additives and things we can do in terms of the diet. But I think summer, it's really a time of the year that the farmer has to manage very well the, the feeding the feeding side of, of feeding cows. Mm -hmm. So things like, uh, um, you know, feeding twice a day, at least twice a day, feeding, pushing feed often, yes. um, chopping the, the forages to a uniform size to avoid sorting that the cows can to do more during summer, uh, keeping the face of the banks very clean, you know, avoid molds. The, all those fundamental things, I think, are fundamental to uh, before starting thinking about additives and all that. But um, but yes, in terms when we do diets, because of what we discussed before about reduction on dry matter intake, so we always tend to we think about things like to to densify the diet to to increase the the energy so per kilo of dry matter so if the cow is a bit less she'll still have the same energy in theory so we think about things like uh, fat adding fat or, or sometimes replacing uh, some of the starch with some digestible fibrous products like beet pulp or soy health because the rumen tends to be a bit acidic additives like sodium bicarb uh, or potassium carbonate things that help with the electrolyte balance of the cow that she loses a lot of minerals through urine and uh, sweat, uh, things like yeast. There is a new, a recent, relatively recent additive that is also useful for summer, which is chromium, um, because chromium helps to, so it helps the, the tissues to use more glucose. So it makes it for, a, for the cow to use more energy from the diet. So different things that we can and should think about when discussing the diet with the customer yeah Pedro do you have much uh, experience with uh, potassium carbonate I know I've used a little bit in the past and kind of seen mixed results I wonder if you had any thoughts on it yeah that's a good point because uh, I kind of have the same idea I mean potassium carbonate in theory it, it looks great because cows do lose quite a bit of potassium during the summer and that should be we should replenish that well, it has two issues. One is that the result seems to be a bit inconsistent for me, and um, and it's very expensive. So, 
Um, there are results, there are studies that show a very, very strong response in terms of milk fat and milk yield. Others don't show or show the same benefits as if you play with, for example, sodium bicarb. Yeah, and I know I, I got kind of a similar question to that too, kind of as a follow-up, Pedro. Um, I've been having producers ask me about bicarb and salt, and generally uh, producers, you know, just throw a block of salt or whatever in the feed bunk, and now as the summer comes on, I'm having them put bicarb out instead. Like, is that a, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, in fact, probably they can they can put salt and sodium bicarb because um, salt, um, they, they work differently because salt, and this is kind of a bit of chemistry, but salt is a neutral, you know, it has the chlorine, it has the sodium, and they are have a neutral charge. While sodium bicarb, like potassium carbonate, they are positive cations. So they they make the diet more positive, contrary, for example, to the dry cows when you use an ionic salt. Here we are, we want to increase that charge. And that seems to be, to have a positive effect on all these problems created by heat stress. So I'd say that um, I don't see anything wrong. You should have, in my opinion, you should have sodium bicarb in the TMR because you, have, you want to have control of that anyway. But then if some cows want to eat free choice, there's nothing wrong. If anything, the manure will be a bit uh, looser. They may urinate more, but uh, there is, uh, there, I, I don't know of any toxicity problem uh, because cows seem to be uh, to be able to control the sodium intake fairly well. So, so is the looser manure because of the salt or because they drink more water? Uh, because of the combination of those things. So they... they okay. I think we will end off with this one last question. Uh, and it, this is going to be obviously a little bit of opinion, but maybe there'll be some science to back up your opinion as well. But if you guys could change one thing to improve a barn for heat stress, what would that be? I know on my end what I would do, like if they're not having any, if the producer doesn't have any heat abatement strategy, the first thing I would do would be cool cows in the holding area when you have them bunched. Because I think there's so much heat created there, um, the cow is just so stressed after the milking experience that, you know, she's not hungry, she doesn't want to lay down, she wants to get cooled down. Um, I know that in the summer I don't, I get pretty lethargic as well too. Um, and you don't don't get too hungry when it gets really really hot out. But and you can drink beer. Yeah, I know. And I, I <laughs> well, we can give cows wet brewers, so that's pretty close. But, uh, um, but yeah, I think the, they they're just so uncomfortable after the milking experience that it just takes them some time to uh, uh, to recuperate. So I think that's number one, and then number two would be um, cooling dry cows as well. I think that's uh, that's one of those things that is underutilized on farms and can have a huge impact on uh, not only uh, cow health, like with metabolic diseases around calving, but uh, calf health as well. Like that calf, like there's research to say that calf won't absorb colostrum as well. Like, so you're already putting that calf behind the eight ball if she's calving under heat stress and she won't have as productive of a life as her dam if the calf, if the half her calf is born under heat stress. So. That's just a couple things that I would think about, Luke. Sure, yeah. Yeah, the holding pen, and, and by order of priority, I'd consider holding pen, maternity pen, and the, the pre-fresh dry cow pen with fans and sprinklers. That would make a, 
a huge difference on the on the quality of life of those cows. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a hard question to ask because there's so many variables and there's rarely a farm that's not doing anything. So it's it's kind of a hard one to find uh, a farm that has absolutely zero, but just an interesting concept to kind of see where we need to put our focus and where you guys would put your focus if you're working with a farm. So some interesting thoughts there. So um, I guess just as we wrap up here, do you guys have any final thoughts or any statements you want to leave with producers uh, as we get into the thick of the heat here this summer? Well, I think it um, we should have always, and, and, and Keith was right when he said that sometimes we react when it's already hit the heat, and, and the seasons are not as defined maybe. I mean, we had snow and then suddenly we had 25 degrees, and so we tend to react, but there should be a conversation about the additives you can use, the nutritional strategies we can do, and um, and to explain why and the costs and all, because all these F as costs, but the cost sometimes of not using some of these things, it's much higher. So it should be a frank conversation and of course not load the diet with additives, but some of them are really critical and important. And then look at all the things we discussed, you know, fan placement, cleanliness of the fans, the water, all those things should be a permanent uh, discussion throughout the summer. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I guess to Pedro's point, um, it is a whole farm thing. It's not just one. There's just not one fifth, uh, key concept to heat abatement. It's a whole lot of little decisions that, that contribute to it. But the other thing to think about, too, and uh, I know we're kind of focusing on cows on this, but uh, to think about your employees as well. Mm. Um, if it is really hot out there, you know, I was at a farm the other day, and they had to sort some cattle, and they didn't really want to do it. And, and, the, and the person's comment was, well, it's not only hard on the cattle, it's hard on us, too. Um, so, you know, things like that, we have to be cognizant of, you know, we're doing a lot of work outside right now, this time of year, especially, you know, covering bunkers and, and climbing in silos and it's hot and it's dirty and, uh, you know, just making sure that you have, you know, cool water and things like that around, you know, some salty snacks as well, maybe, uh, might help just to keep employees happy this time of year. Cause, uh, you know, not only do the cows have to stay safe out there, uh, our people that we're working with, uh need to stay safe as well so i was gonna say it's a pretty low cost to keep that fridge full of water bottles and and that definitely keeps employees happier uh with that guys i want to thank keith again and like we said keith is going to become a lot more regular on the podcast so you can look forward to hearing more from him and i'm sure this won't be the last time we hear from pedro either uh again guys thank you so much for your time and thank you everybody else out there for listening we appreciate it and have a great week out there thanks for now Hey guys, thanks for tuning in this week. We really are trying to keep this podcast product and ad free. However, if you have any questions about what you've been hearing, we strongly recommend reaching out to your nearest SureGain dealership. We have reps across Ontario, Canada, and the USA that would love to come to your farm and offer solutions to those problems that have been keeping you from achieving your goals. Please feel free to share this podcast with anyone that you think might benefit from this information or on your social media platform of choice. I also encourage you to tune into Keith Schweitzer's YouTube channel. We'll be releasing podcast episodes every other Thursday, and Keith will be releasing YouTube videos on the opposite weeks. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to sharing with you real soon.